Hey everybody, this is Lowell Thompson with the Learn With Lowell Show. This is a bit of a different episode, and uh, so I'm curious to see if you guys like it. So for a bit of a backstory, we're just going to jump right in. This is like one solid recording versus like any editing of any kind. Though for many, many longtime listeners would say that there is very little editing all the time. But so this episode's about books and some concepts around books that I really, really enjoy. And so I, I read a lot of books. I get, I read, that's one of, one of the, you know, questions I ask almost every guest, like, Hey, what are you reading? Where are you, where are you going to, to read stuff? And so I have, I've, I've read a lot and people always say, Hey, you know, you should make a list or share it or, you know, do what have you. And I was listening to a Jacko Willick, um, the author of the extreme ownership, uh, talk on his podcast where he just read, read a book. I thought, hey, you know what? I'm not going to read a book, but I can read sections of a book and read quotes, kind of tell you guys what are some books I think you would enjoy. So this this episode, and if you like it, you know, I could do other ones like this, but this one's kind of like what books would help you uh, figure out how to interact with other people, how to figure yourself out, and um, kind of give you a foundation level expertise in navigating the world and doing it well. So it's kind of like a wordy or very, you know, weird way of thinking about it. But I'm going to basically tell you the books I'm going to talk about. I'm going to, you know, take some quotes, kind of tell you what I think you can get from each. And then I'm going to give you a challenge, like how I think you should read these books and to get the most from them. So sometimes you can read a book randomly and it's like, oh, that's neat. Uh, you know, you read Sapiens or you read, you know, Stalin's volume one or, you know, any of those things. And it's like, how do you fit that into a cohesive network of other works that impact your life? And so every book that we're about to talk about, I've, I've looked at every book I've read and I've picked these and let me just, I'm going to, I'm looking at in front of me, there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11. There's like literally only 11 books. And if you read them in a, in a right order, I think you can go from, uh, you know, you basically can be like Benjamin Franklin, where you, you start as a kid being an idiot and you end doing some really great things. So here are the 11 books. And uh, then we'll, we'll break them down, talk about them, have some fun. So these are the books I recommend if you want to get the most out of yourself, like I just said, if you want to push yourself, if you want to get a base level, you know, you're having a problem, you're trying to resolve something. These are books. These are stories that I pull from all the time whenever I'm doing stuff. And in fact, I would recommend just as like a meta thing, when you're reading these books, get a note card, put the name of the book on the back end, and then underline quote, you know, really work with these books. And then when you're done, take everything you underlined and then put it into a book. Um, it's a lot of fun. Happy to write, uh, write or talk about that more in a later podcast. So the 11 books are Franklin by Walter Isaacson, Washington and Hamilton by Chernow, Losing My Virginity by Richard Branson, Extreme Ownership by Jack Willick and his friend, Man's Search for Meaning, uh, How to Win Friends and Influence Others, Never Split the Difference, Master by Robert Greene, Four Hour Work Week. And the power of habit. So here's some quotes that I like uh, from a few of them, just to kind of give you a sense of what they're all about. So Franklin's about uh, Ben Franklin, obviously, but so losing my virginity, uh, a really fun quote there is it is only by being bold that you get anywhere. If you are a risk taker, then the art is to protect the downside. Extreme ownership. Uh, a great quote there is implementing extreme ownership requires checking your ego and operating with a high degree of humility. Admitting mistakes, taking ownership, and developing a plan to overcome challenges. 
are integral to any successful team. Manchester meeting is about a man who survives Auschwitz and finds meaning in that. Um, ultimately, man should not ask what the meaning of his life is, but rather he must recognize that he is who is asked. In a word, each man is questioned by life, and he can only answer to life by answering for his own life. To life, he can only respond by being responsible. How do one friend and influence others? Like the how do one friends and influence others? It was recommended by Warren Buffett. It helps him become the leader he is. And it's exactly what the title says. Like it, it just helps you kind of get out of your shell. If you're an introvert, if you're a little awkward, if you don't know what to say in social surroundings, if you want to get better at that, it's a great book. But uh, a great quote is you can make more friends in two months by becoming interesting to other people. Uh, sorry. You can make more friends in two months by becoming interested in other people genuinely than you can in two years by trying to get people to be interested in you. And that's by Dale Carnegie. Never Split the Difference is basically how to find black swan events in conversations. He was, Chris Voss was a hostage negotiator. So he used these questions, primes, and all these other strategies you'll get in the book. We'll talk about a little bit of them. Uh, basically to trying to open up the situation to understand the other person and, you know, make it so that, you know, the hostages get home safe. But a quote from him is, great negotiators are able to question the assumptions that the rest of the involved players accept on faith or in arrogance and thus remain more emotionally open to all possibilities and more intellectually agile to influence situations. Um, Master by Robert Greene is basically how do you get great at something? I mean, it's a very, it's very good. If you, if you don't know what you want to be great at, this is also a great episode for you because there's a lot of stuff in here about how to figure out what you want to do. Mastery is one of the mastery and Walter Isaacson's uh, Franklin is are two great books to figure out what you want to do in life or just to test and explore. But a quote from there is the future belongs to those who learned more skills and combine them in creative ways. And that's basically, you know, the foundation of innovation. And the four, four hour work week, well, a lot of it hasn't really aged all that well. I do like a lot of it in terms of getting you to think differently. And a lot of these books are about how to think differently versus what you've been taught in high school, wherever you've, you know, been educated. In many ways, uh, I think school kind of teaches you to think in a very rigid way, which is not great. So Tim Ferriss says, you are the average of the five people you associate with the most. So, so do not underestimate the effects of your pessimism unambitious or disorganized friends. If someone isn't making you stronger, they're making you weaker. And finally, the last book is The Power of Habit. The difference between who you are and who you want to be is what you do. And this book is great. Uh, it really explains the neuroscience of, of habits in a very fun way, while also giving you extreme action bites to figure out how to change your life. So I think there's a great quote just to start like extrapolating what some of these books are going to give you that I think helps people figure things out, which is Gandhi said that the best way to find yourself is to lose yourself finding others. And I think that is awesome. And it's really hard to do. And to Jack O'Willick's point, like you have to be really humble to have extreme ownership and all these other books in conjunction help you, you know, be humble and listen to other people. But how to friend, win friends and influence others is a key one. And to the quote that I just read, um, you can spend a lot of time being like, me, 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 look how great I am. I, I do these great things. So you want to talk to me? And there's, there's some value in that, like do great things on your own. But you'll, you'll do better generally if you ask questions of other people, if you use the Chris 
boss, you know, black swan trying to understand the other uh, opposing side or just, you know, the, the person sitting across from you because that person will open up, you'll understand them better. And then if there, you know, is something where you guys can work on together, uh, that's great. Additionally, you know, I mean, how often do you really like hanging out with people that all they do is talk about themselves and are self-absorbed and never ask you how you're doing? You ask how they're doing and they just go on and on and on and on and on. And then, you know, they didn't tell, you know, it's just very one-sided. Like, I, I doubt any of you, you know, enjoy it and probably minimize people who do that. Um, additionally, like to this concept of find, uh, losing yourself, finding others, when you listen deeply, and that's one of the things that I like about this show is when you listen deeply and you hear people talk about what they're passionate about, it kind of helps you see what you're passionate about at the same time. It helps you re it reveals in you things that you were interested in that you didn't know were interesting to you. So the cool thing about the world is there's so much out there and you could be great at many things. You could be average at lots of things, but you don't really know what the difference is. You might be lucky like Ben Franklin, who in Walter Isaacson's book, they, they talk about how when he was young, he, his father took him to so many different apprentices, apprenticeships, like there's different, you know, be a candle maker, be a, a plumber, you know, whatever. And he watched Franklin interact with those different fields. And when Franklin got excited about something, he was like, okay, great. I'll put you in that apprenticeship. Now, Franklin's dad was really concerned because he was concerned that his, Franklin was going to run away to see, and you wouldn't see his son again. So he had some motivation to really pay attention and be humble and make sure he's paying attention to his son. And the, but the benefit there is by going around, listening to these people talk about passionate things, seeing what actually is, you know, how the sausage is made in these different arenas, he was able to find Franklin a spot that gave him the foundation to build the rest of his life, which is fantastic. So I think there's a lot of, a lot of uh, interesting things can happen if you don't know where you want to go and learning, listening and digging in many different areas and and also like listening to yourself, like as you talk to people, uh, you can kind of see like, oh, I didn't know I would like this thing about ornithology or I, wow, there's this aspect of STEM that's pretty cool, like mRNAs and how they work or CRISPR, or even, you know, learning an aspect of coding. Like so many people think coding's, you know, boring or like math, even though math is a lot of fun, actually. Um, but coding is extremely creative. Like if you can write a sentence, you can write it, you can write in code. Um I mean, if you, if you like set a sentence to describe how to make a sandwich, that how you were to say that would probably like match up to like a coding language somewhere, just like how do you, like the syntax, like how it's written changes. Um, you know, additionally, like following in this, like, how do you lose yourself working with others and, you know, uh, talking with people, there are some really cool tricks that are in these books, you know, in, uh, never split the difference and how to win friends and influence others and, uh, Roosevelt. I mean, um, Franklin in particular. So uh, a key one is like, always remember people's names. Not just the letters that are written, but how they say them. Remember to, you know, clarify if you don't have like the person's name, right? So like if someone says, my name is Bob, like remember they say Bob. If someone, like if you read it, it's like Bob or something, like don't call him Bob. Even if it's like, you know, like even if it's like a, a small thing. You know, like uh, I go by Lowell or Lowell uh, and I'm pretty chill about it. But like generally, like for most people, if you say it the right way, how they say it, it just means a little bit more. You know, there's like this uh, a fun way of 
illustrating this for people who haven't seen this in their lives is read a chapter, read a paragraph of like something. It could be anything like how to make a sandwich or how to make a telephone pole or like how uh, MRIs work or something. Just like something really small, like go to Wikipedia and then uh, summarize that in your own words. Like completely like don't don't like, you know, don't look at it while you're doing it. Like take it in your head, summarize it and walk away. You will remember that summary for the rest of your life because you're saying it in your own words. So how you say your name is really important. So if you can find out how people say their names and remember their names and then remember, you know, details associated with that person, you know, like, do they build this? Do they are an author? Do they, we know what do they care about? What are they passionate about? It's very, very important. It's one of the things that I think helped Teddy Roosevelt rise to the level he did. Uh, he's, he was very well known for remembering, never forgetting a single name. And he would see people that he hasn't seen for years and be like, oh, wow, it's Richard. You know, how are you? You know, I know you were re reading this book. I mean, writing this book, you know, how, how is it going? Is it almost done? I'd love to check it out. And he would do this to everyone. Like you could be someone he hasn't literally, there are people that he bumped into randomly on the street and he was like, oh, wow. Hey, you used to work with me at the white house. How, what, what have you been doing now? And um, he would do it like in a very specific way. Like people cited all the time, how he looked them in the eye, he'd smile. And he would just like be like overjoyed, like a little kid and seeing another person. And so uh, there's like a fun challenge there where, you know, if you're walking down the street and you look people in the eyes, do you feel anything? You know, maybe, I don't know. But if you look people in the eyes and you smile and you say, hello, you don't have to try and have a conversation. Just say hello and keep on with your day. See how that feels. And then imagine what it feels like to have that done for them. Um, it feels nice. You know, mirror neurons are, are a great thing. You know, additionally, when you're trying to get to know pe new people and like, you know, take an interest in their lives, Teddy Rosso was known to, you know, stay up and uh, read material on a subject that he knew a person enjoyed. And uh, he'd all, also like take an interest, just like Franklin Roosevelt um, would in, well, Franklin Roosevelt and then, uh, and then uh, Ben Franklin. Ben Franklin in particular, there's actually a story in the, in the book where there's a person who didn't like Franklin. And uh, this illustrates the point I'm trying to get at. And so Franklin found out that he, he was a big fan of this book. Like it's a special edition book. And so Franklin was like, hey, uh, I hear you're a fan that you have this book. Would you mind if I borrow it? That's a big deal back then. There's not, you know, they don't have very many books. And so um, the guy's like, sure. And so he borrows the book. He returns it on time. And he, and he talks to him about it. Like, oh, that's really great, blah, blah, blah. And so the next time they meet in like, there's like the House of Burgess, I think it was what it was called. There was like the little mini con uh, uh, Congress. It was like a little mini, you know, pol political thing. Uh, he, the guy like walked across the room who he used to be an opponent, like blocking everything Franklin would do. He walked across the room and was like, hey, how you doing? You know, blah, blah, blah. And actually that guy would end up being like a great ally of Franklin's for the rest of his life. Oh, because he took an interest. And so Teddy Roosevelt would, take an interest, learn what people want, uh, what their interests are. And then he would go out of his way to, you know, buy every, you know, buy every book or read Wikipedia page. You know, if it was modern day, like he would read Wikipedia pages, get the Libby app, you know, download books for free, watch YouTube videos. Like there's tons of stuff out there to like learn um, about what people are interested in and then ask some questions about it. And then kind of like reverting back to the last thing, you know, remember the name, remember what they're interested in. And then, you know, pay attention and be actually engaged and interested and what they're talking about. Um, you'd be surprised how like crazy things change after that. And just in terms of like working with other people, I think there's something that's really fun to note with the how to win friends and influence other, which I'm going to call like the first part of it, like how to talk to other people. 
is like the first part of this conversation. And uh, there's a there's a missing chapter in How to Win Friends that um, the author Dale Carnegie deleted because it was kind of negative. But um, basically, Dale Carnegie, the chapter was about how you're going to run into people they're not going to get along with. And no matter what you do, no matter how hard you try, it'll never work out. And that's fine. They're usually, you know, parasites, emotional monopolizers, you know, people who take from you. I think there's like a really fun quote where you can be very giving, you can be very generous with your time, with your resources and all these other things, you know, but also keep an eye on what your limits are. Because if you're not careful, you're going to find that there's users and takers out there who'll just keep taking from you and they have no limits. They'll just take as much as they can and, you know, squeeze you like a grape and go on with their lives. And so that's, they're very much represented in that 13th chapter, the last chapter that um, Dale Carnegie didn't publish. Um, if you read anything by Robert Greene, he talks about these things, which is kind of funny. Uh, in Robert Greene's books, he talks about how you should, you know, identify those people, ignore them, avoid them, delete them, and run the opposite way as, much, as fast as you can, <laughs> which is uh, kind of funny. So in summary, you know, pay attention, lose yourself, listen to other people, listen to what their passion is, see how that strikes a chord with you, remember it, and, you know, see how that changes your engagement with other people. And so, you know, how do you formulate questions? I think the best book on how to formulate questions to understand other people is Never Split the Difference. So Never Split the Difference is about a guy who's a former FBI hostage negotiator and how he formulates questions to find black swans. And black swans are basically, you know, before people found Australia, everyone would say, hey, if it's a swan, it's a white swan. But then uh, people found Australia and they're like, oh, wow, there's a black swan here. That's that's crazy. I would assume that they're all they're all white. So it's it's being open intellectually and being humble enough to notice to be so, so you don't make assumptions like all swans are white no matter what. So but then there's a black swan that, that like hits you in the side and you don't see it coming you know, like the 2008 you know, financial crisis or anything like that, things that you can't see coming that are there, that if you ask the right questions, if you had the right data, you could figure out that they're, they're there. You know, if you if we already were to Australia, you'd be like, okay, there's white swans, there's black swans, et cetera. So in this book, it's really about asking questions to understand other people and to see things that are really hard to see. Um, it goes into the tactics of how he worked with hostage negotiation, you know, getting people out. Um, but it works with that as well as it does with negotiating salaries or anything else you got going on in your life. So if you're trying to like negotiate in a uh, upcoming, you know, review session at your work, I definitely recommend checking out this book, reading the last chapter in particular, where he summarizes everything in a nice, easy way. And uh, which basically is like uh, focus on creating like a one pager negotiating cheat sheet, which is, you know, what is the goal that you want to get out of whatever you're talking, whoever you're talking with or, or, you know, trying to get to know, or what, what are you trying to learn? Whether it's a professor, whether it's a teacher, whether it's a new friend, whether it's a, a colleague, whether it's a, you know, working on a new salary, whether it's trying to get a promotion, um, you can kind of create like, what's your goal? What are the best and worst cases of, of that goal through this conversation? You know, write that out um, and then focus on the best outcome. So a lot of people are taught to focus on like, what's the middle ground? What's the worst? Well, if I want a, a dollar uh, and, you know, I'll accept that, then I'll go in there and try to get $2, even though you should probably get paid 20. You know, it, 
you're artificially anchoring yourself at a lower end by being willing to, you know, like focus on the fact that, Oh, take one or two. Um, instead realize that, you know, you really want 20 and then try to anchor yourself there and focus on that versus like some stupid, um, middle ground. And that works out really, really well. Uh, I've seen that work really well in my life. And I know many people who have been on the show and who have advised and worked with in my personal lives that, um, have used that technique to great effect. Um, Additionally, like you write this all down, you know, carry it into the meeting, this one pager. It's a great thing about being online is you could literally have it tabbed. Like you could have like the video of you talking to the person and then right next to it, you could have like a, a Google doc of like, you know, the, what you want, you know, some questions and stuff like that. And then try to practice it with your friends, depending on like the level that you want to go in there, especially if you're not used to negotiating. Um, definitely like practice with a friend or even if practice in a mirror or something like that. Um the goal is to try and figure out like what's the best outcome for yourself and then just kind of do it. Uh, so here are some steps that are good that he goes into this book much better than me, but if you're listening in, uh, here's some like quick takeaways, write a summary of the events that led up to the meeting. This is about like creating the same page. Like I've talked to so many, so many people I've negotiated so many different things and you'd be surprised how many assumptions are being made in terms of like why that meeting exists. I'm not joking. I've talked to people that, I mean, I've known them for years. They needed my help with something. I go in there and I say, all right, this is what led to us being here. And within a couple of questions of that, it's very clear, like they were talking about apples and I was talking about capybaras, you know, the little uh, marsupial. And so in asking those questions, you can kind of get yourself aligned onto being the same page. Um, and it's really just a couple of sentences. Like you say it and, you know, why are you there? What do you think? brought you there? What do they want? What do you want? Why? Um, and basically you're, you're listening to a, that's right. You're, you're listening for a, that's right. In particular, not your right or anything like that. You really want them to say that thing that you just said is the correct. They have nothing to add. They're like, yeah, that's correct. Um, then, uh, additionally kind of create like a label accusation audit, like label like three to five labels of like how you feel that person feels about the facts that you just summarized. So it seems that X is very valuable to you, you know, pause, listen, pay attention to, you know, when you say that, when you say like, Hey, it seems that this thing right here is very important to you. They will say they will, if it's true, if it's not true, they're going to correct it. Imagine being misquoted. It's kind of like being misquoted. No, everyone hates it. Um, but you're not saying this is important to you. You know, it's not an accusation. It's a, Hey, this seems important to you. And it creates a table for you both to sit at and work on it together versus making an us versus them. It's a very much more organic and, and teamwork centered dynamic. Um, but you know, definitely read the book. It goes into it much better there. Um, you're you're going to learn things here during the audit. Uh, you know, what is actually important to them? How do they see about it? Asking these types of questions will generally find you black swan events, especially in conjunction with the next part that I'm going to highlight, which is coming in with calibrated questions to expose black swans. So like the, the accusation audit will give you things that you didn't know. It's also getting ensuring that you're on the same page which is uh, very, very important, but the calibrated questions are, you know, what are you trying to accomplish? What's the biggest challenges you're facing? What stands in the way of us working together, you know, and he, he gives you a bunch of examples on, in the book and like how to formulate better ones. But between those two things, you'll identify black swans, You'll be on the same page and you'll be in a position to uh, negotiate and achieve whatever objective you set out to achieve.
which is fantastic. Um, and I want you to kind of keep that in mind in terms of asking questions to figure things out and talking with other people and understanding them and being very passionate about figuring them out and figuring yourself out as we move in to talk about Franklin, which is, I, I think I own multiple multiples of this book. Uh, it's really good. I highly recommend it. I think other people recommend it as too, as well. Um, Elon Musk recommended it. Uh, I think Steve Jobs did while he was alive. I know he, Steve Jobs, um, the biography, one of them was written by Walter Isaacson. Walter Isaacson's gone on to write uh, ones on Einstein, uh, Da Vinci, and a bunch of other ones. But so what I love about this book, and it's something that I think is great, and and it's it's like it's like an anti-imposter syndrome book, because for many people sitting in at home with whatever you're doing out there, you hear about people I'm interviewing, you hear about people on the news, you see where you're at right now, and you think, I could never be them. They're so great. They're awesome. They're fantastic. Uh, that's, I mean, it's true. Maybe they're doing great work. I doubt it. You know, everyone's human. They put their, 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 uh, pants on at the same time. You'd be surprised how weird people are. But so in Franklin, who is many people conceive him as the founding grandfather, we see this kid that was really close to running away to see, we probably would never have seen that guy again. Uh, his dad, you know, helped him find his, his, uh, role in an apprenticeship and go further in that regard. But the neat thing is you basically see Franklin screw, screw up a lot. Um, I mean, a lot, a lot. I think like there are several moments where he just wasn't asking the right questions. He was making tons of assumptions. He, he wasn't really taking an, uh, an understanding of other people. He was more like, oh, look how cool I am. They're going to appreciate that, which as, as we just talked about, that doesn't really work. People don't really like that. Sometimes they do if they're like cool people and your friends um, and you, but not everyone likes it when you do well, which is, which is unfortunate. Um, but so there is, uh, there's a couple of really fun, funny examples of him misappreciating people. But the end result that I want to emphasize is by the end of his life, he, he more than anyone helped found America. America would not exist without him convincing the French to join, without him facilitating loans from, I think it was the Dutch, uh, to finance the war. You know, um, so like, like Franklin is such a keystone person. Uh, he's, he's a pretty funny person as well. Uh, I think like when he was older, he started studying farts, which is like such a weird thing to do. Um, he wasn't very nice to his wife though. Like, I will say that he, uh, he was kind of a jerk, but so when he was a kid, uh, he did these silence do good letters where he pretended. And that was very for the fashion of the age. You would, you would take up a uh, pseudonym and pretend to be someone else to have a, a public debate on a subject. And it was kind of a lot of fun. It seemed like a very, you know, wholesome thing to be able to talk about things and, uh, you know, freely, like you could even like argue with yourself in the public eye just to see what people are saying. But so he did these things that people loved them. They're like, he, he captured the woman's voice so powerfully. And so he goes to his brother, who is the other person at the printer shop. He's like, Hey, guess what? You know, those letters you like so much that you've been praising. I wrote those. And his brother said, what? It's like, yeah, I wrote those. And so instead of being like Frank was like, oh, he's gonna be proud of me. I did this great job. His brother's like completely envious and humiliated that Franklin did this thing. So he beat him and like ran him out of town. I don't think Franklin came back for a while. But when like, a couple of years later, Franklin kind of reestablished himself and a patron uh, convinced him that if he goes to England, he'll give him a letter of credit or whatever 
and he can buy supplies to set up his own printer shop. Um, and so he gets to England and then he finds out that the guy never, he just does that to people. He just likes feeling good. Like he can do something for others, but he never does anything. So Franklin got stuck there and he started doing printing there. And, you know, similarly, he wouldn't like, there was like this thing you do where you put money in to have alcohol served to you because, um, the water sucked back then. Uh, like pasteurization, Louis Pasteur and microbes in uh, water really wasn't invented to like the late 1800s. So most of the time uh, people were just eating like uh, pee water. <laughs> so it wasn't good, but uh, alcohol, because it was fermented and stuff, it was very clean. So that's kind of why they did that. But so there was a fund, you put in a little bit of your money and people would bring alcohol in and you drink it and you probably drink like two or three you know, pints or whatever a day. Franklin didn't want to do that. He liked water. And so uh, the people in the shop thought, oh, he's an American. He thinks he's better than everybody. I mean, he was better than them, but I mean, he was like much better than them. But uh, because he stood out so much uh, and he didn't contribute, like they just used that contribution to like hit him a lot. And so um, like he, they started messing with all this stuff and making him look bad in front of the bosses. And that wasn't great on many levels. So Franklin figured out like, oh, that's why he started putting money in. And then he, and then through his actions showed them like, Hey, if you just didn't drink this so much, you'd actually perform better. And then they all started doing that. Cause then they all wanted to get better, but it was, it was at first, you know, kind of going with the flow and, and joining the group and letting the group know that he doesn't think he's, you know, better than them, that he was able to then convince them that, you know, stumbling around with, you know, stacks of papers is maybe not the most efficient way of doing things. Um, which is kind of funny, uh, but he slowly convinced people and he learned a lot from that. I actually think that's the tipping point for him because it's after that point that he started listening and asking a lot of questions and figuring people out. And you can read this more in the book, but I think that was the tipping point where he starts to become the Franklin that people would write about in his later life. You know, it's after this point, he started making millions of dollars. It's after this point, he became postmaster, uh, postmaster of the, the colonies, what well, was well, a segment of the colonies, but, um, and I also want to emphasize that all these things allowed him to kind of add up to be the man who brought France into the war, which basically stalemated and got the English out. And uh, he also did some other negotiating stuff that most people don't notice. But like just like most people are going to be like, oh, well, Adams was there and Jefferson was there. It wasn't just Franklin. Uh, well, you're right. It wasn't just Franklin. So Adams was like this really self-conscious idiot. And uh, he would constantly get in the way of things. And he was like, Oh, Franklin's a Francophile because like Franklin's like kind of he's like he's seen that the best way to get the French on his side is to act like the French because then the French will think, oh, there's more French. It's like instead of thinking it's like an English colony, they're thinking like, oh, these are French people that view like they have our same ideals and culture and all these other things. So it's like instead of it being like completely alien, it's almost it's almost more akin to, hey, there's a brother over across the, the way. And but anyways, Adam, Adams really didn't get this. And so Adams just kept picking at everything. He kept picking fights. He was an idiot. Uh, but he, so that was his big uh, contribution. But then Jefferson, his biggest contribution was basically keeping Adams from interfering with Franklin too much so Franklin could be successful. So if you want to, like they all did something. Adams was negative. Franklin negated his, I mean, uh, Jefferson negated his negativity and Franklin was able to do his job, which brought the French in and, and you know, uh, finally won the war. Um Another couple of things that are really interesting about Franklin that they go into in this book is that Franklin, ever, ever, wherever he went, he set up Junto clubs, which is basically he made like 
forums and groups of people that would come together and argue things. And he's, uh, there's some things that he did to make them really easy to do. Um, he would focus on, you know, what does he want out of it? What do they want out of it? They want to learn. They want to talk. They want to have like those dynamic conversations, those passionate conversations without uh, fear of, you know, people, you know, taking it personally, if you disagree and stuff like that. So he set ground rules. He'd make it very clear, like, Hey, this is how we talk. This is how we don't talk. Let's you know be respectful. And when people would disagree with him, he would be very gentle about it. He just asked questions until they both were on the same page. I've seen that work really, really well. Like I have uh, maybe a dozen or so uh, similar groups that I've set up and they're a lot of fun. They're in a different organizations, different industries that I'm, I care about. And it's really easy to do, you know, even if it's just you and your friends that have shared interests, there's tons of like, that's the cool thing about the internet. You can do this anywhere. Um, but set up clubs, get to know people, ask lots of questions, um, pay attention to your surroundings or else you're going to get stuck in England. Uh, and, uh, that wasn't very fun for, uh, Franklin, but I think it's a great book to figure out like how to go from, you know, zero to hero and a short amount of time. Uh, additionally, Washington and Hamilton, I'm not going to go too much into those books because I think they do things that are really interesting. Washington and Hamilton in a, in a large amount are basically foils for each other. So Washington actually was extremely passionate and on many occasions, like mouthed off to people and, and um, he almost like beat people with sticks a couple of times, like, cause they were being really stupid. Uh, you know, Charles Lee uh, from Hamilton, uh, you kind of get a sense of that. Like he, he, he doesn't like the guy, but, <clears throat> but I think the, some key things to pay attention in Chernow is Washington is, how, how does how does Washington become president? How does how does Washington become the first the the commander of the colonial militia, continental army, all that stuff? How does he do that? There's an answer there, and it's ex explicitly said how he does it. But it's very interesting how he does it, and it's not. I won't I won't spoil it for you. I think that's a question to like figure out. But I will say that how Washington engages and interacts with other people is how he was elevated up to such a masterful height where everyone want, everyone everyone saw him as the number one choice. And then you look at Hamilton, which is much more divisive of a guy and eventually got shot in the head, uh, shot. And so they're both very passionate people. Washington learned to master his emotions a little bit better where Hamilton uh, kind of just channeled them to do a lot of great things. Um, but they're two great uh, foils for each other. Additionally, um, The Power of Habits is a good book because it breaks up down. Um, hmm, I want to think, do I talk about that yet? No, I want to talk about Losing My Virginia by Richard Branson. So Richard Branson is a, is a great biography because it talks about uh, how he does what he does. He basically has fun while he does it. He focuses on fun. He doesn't really focus on money. He does a lot of things based on a lark. He'll see an opportunity that, that bugs him. Like he started his uh, plane business when he was trying to charter. He was trying to get somewhere and everyone was like, no, we can't do that. We're all sold out. And he was like, well, these people have horrible customer service and there's a plane out there that you can charter right now. So why don't they just do it? So then he did a little small test and, uh, and, uh, uh, it worked out and then he started, he like literally got a, uh, I think he got a plane from Boeing for free. Basically he leased it. And if it didn't, if he couldn't make a plane business uh, off of it, he would just return it to Boeing essentially for free. So 
he was very charismatic. He was very bold. He tried a lot of things. It's very nerdy to learn how he did those things. But if you read that book, you, you can see how he just put himself in a lot of positions. And it's not that he didn't fail, but that his failures taught him stuff that allowed his successes to be bigger, I think. Um, so that, so, you know, I think that's a good, you know, summary of, of that book. You learn, you learn how to have fun while working and building things that are important. And you get to learn about Richard Branson was kind of a funny guy. Um, I think the final few books are, you know, extreme ownership, extreme ownership is about like how to stop making excuses. Like if you, if you, if someone like, if you, you know, there's a, okay, here's a great story. Jack Willick. There was like a friendly fire. It's called blue on blue. Uh, when you, you know, shoot on a friendly person, there's a friendly fire incident that, I mean, they almost like wiped out another squad, but, uh, so he comes back. <coughs> uh, and I don't talk normally this much. So if you guys like this, let me know. I'm not normally a, a talker. I like to listen, but so he, he comes back and he hears from his like CO that they're coming down and there's like the head person above him is coming down. So basically they're, they're coming to bust skulls. And so he starts wondering, you know, like who's at fault, who's at, who's the, who's responsible for this, you know, who did what, blah, blah, blah. And um, so he goes in the meeting with the people, with his team, with his commanding officer. And he asks the question, who's, who's, whose fault is this? And then one member of his team, oh, and Jack Willick's a Navy SEAL. I think that's really important. Like these are like elite soldiers. And so one soldier says, well, I didn't, I didn't check better with comms before I made my move. He's like, and Jack Willick says, no, that that's not, that's not what did it. Uh, so then he goes through it and he lets like four or five people say why they think they're at fault, right? Like they're taking personal extreme ownership of this situation where, you know, you could get court martialed for doing this. Like it's, it's very serious. Uh, Jacko Willick says, I'll tell you who's at fault. I'm at fault. It's my fault because we didn't do this. We didn't do this. We didn't do this. And this is how we're going to do it better from here on out. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. So instead of like dwelling and emphasizing the negative, he just more talked about how these are things that went wrong and this is what we're going to do better moving forward. And so instead of getting canned or anything negative happened from it, his bosses actually respected him more, gave him more responsibility, more latitude to do what he needed to do. And his soldiers, instead of thinking like, oh, this guy's an idiot, was like, okay, he owned it. It was really great. And they trusted him more because they knew he, that he wasn't just going to like let the crap roll downhill on any of them. So extreme ownership's like not making excuses, figuring things out, um, how to lead up. Like if you have like a very weak leader uh, above you, and I think everybody has this at some point in their lives, they suck. But he talks about how to like lead up, how to give that person what they need so you can just do whatever you want um, and develop yourself and, and do great things. Um, so it's a great book to kind of figure out how to get the best from yourself. And then, you know, in a similar vein, Mastery by Robert Greene is, you know, how to find the skills, how to figure out what skills you want to master, how to find people. It's, it's very like a synthesis of everything we just got, talk, got done talking about, how to move from, you know, zero to the point where you're a master of something. And it's, it is achievable. And I don't think there's a person out there who couldn't become a master at something if they just focused on it. You know, uh, Bruce Lee is famous for saying that, you know, if he doesn't fear the person who has mastered 10,000 different kicks, but the person who's kicked once 10,000 times, you know, like one, one type of kick, one type of attack. I'm not a martial arts person, as you can tell, but it was like one type of kick 10,000 times. Cause that person like could do it perfectly. 
and he would do it powerfully. And similarly with mastery, I think, and the book goes into it greatly, like how to get yourself to that point where you are a master in whatever you're doing. Um, Four-hour work week in a similar vein is about how to, you know, think in a different way. Um, in that book, you see how to find your 1,000 true fans, which basically how if you have like 1,000 true, fan, true fans, you can basically build anything and do anything and have a lifestyle, whatever you want, um, unattached to a normal nine-to-five business. Maybe you work more, maybe you work less. It depends on what you want to do. Four-hour work week is just kind of like one of those like fuzzy ways of doing it. And finally, uh, the power of habit. It goes into, as I said earlier, you know, how to make habits. And um, habits are really important because they are what we do. And so the basic, just on a high level, habits are a three-step loop. And he goes into literally how like uh, teeth, like our, the health of our teeth, our, our teeth health was so bad that in World War II or World War I, I forget which one, um, the U.S. military said it was uh, a matter of security because it was so bad. Like only like 3% of people brush their teeth. And so they call this guy in and uh, he figured out a way to create a cue routine reward. Basically, you know, a way to get people for a habit to sit in, sit in is just a three-step loop of cue routine reward. And um, basically the guy, <clears throat> the guy figured out there's this film on your teeth if you look at all the commercials nowadays, you still see this as well. You do that, like they do that lick and then it's like, shing. But um, they associated brushing your teeth with that clean cleanliness, but it's a normal film. There's nothing wrong with it. But because they see the act of brushing their teeth with that clean feeling, it makes you want to brush your teeth. And it's like a little reward for doing it. Um, and so by within like a decade or two, like, uh, I think 60 to 70% of people were brushing their teeth, which is fantastic. Um, but it talks about how to make habits, cues, and it works. He goes into personally, professionally, in teams. Um, there's one ex example is like uh, in Kuwait, there was, um, there was like these people that would show up and they would like riot and burn stuff and they'd go about their day and then they go home. And they got this military commander tried, uh, he, he figured out, he asked lots of questions and he learned that if he took away these like kebab stands, like these little like food vendor things that people would just dissipate at like 8 PM because they were hungry versus staying and burning stuff down. And so just that one change in habit changed the dynamic of the, of the, of the area. So people could protest and, and fine, but they wouldn't burn anything, which is kind of funny. Um, so that book is great in terms of like fun foundationally, when you know what you want to do, when you have a path, or at any point in this, as you're learning extreme ownership, um, to build the habits that build you to where you want to be. Um, so those are all the books. And I talked briefly on each of them because I didn't know to the extent people wanted to hear me drone on about books that I think are awesome. But so here's the, here's the challenge for each everyone out there. Um, read. Once I need a good drink. <clears throat> read Franklin and then Chernow's Washington. Uh, take your notes, you know, keep a note card, underline all these things. Then read Never Split the Difference, How to Win Friends and Influence Others, and then Hamilton and Losing My Virginity by Richard Branson. Then read Mastery, Mansers for Meaning, 
Habits and Extreme Ownership by Jacko Willick. Each of these things build on the other. There's a great quote, forget who, that says that a reader lives a thousand lives while a non-reader leads one. And so when you, you're reading the biographies to get a foundation of different experiences, and then as you read, you know, never split difference, et cetera, there's like, they're like kind of like theory with a- application so that then when you read Hamilton, Lose My Virginia, you can kind of apply what you just saw in a different way. And so by the end of reading Mastery, Master's Remaining Habits, and Extreme Ownership, is you should have a foundation level of examples of people building things and doing things. And that should galvanize you to reflect on yourself and think, where, what can I do better? How can I do it better? Where can I do it better? When can I do it better? You know, all these things. And that should position you to be whatever you want to be and give you a very simple roadmap to move forward, to take you from where you are today to where you're challenging yourself every day to be the best self that you can be um, and be the master of whatever you want to master. But so that's the challenge. Franklin, Chernow, Washington, never split the difference. How do friends influence others? Hamilton, lose my virginity. Then mastery, master's remaining habits and extreme ownership. And if you, if everyone does this, if anyone does this, tell me, because this would be the way if I was like, if I was like in a coma and I woke up and I forgot everything, I would start here. I would do these things. Um, it, how you interact with other people, how you interact with getting yourself from point A to point B is incredibly important. And if you do it right and you do it well, everything follows. So that was today with the Learning with Lowell show. We talked about books. We learned about people. Uh, we learned about, you know, how to take notes in books. You just outline the core thing. You don't outline, uh, just as a quick aside, um, to take notes, you, you just focus on like the key thing. And then when you go back in to summarize it and put it into a notebook, um, only write what's absolutely important and then give it a theme. It's really cool. But, um, and then we have a fun challenge. So this is a weird episode. It's a different episode. I thought I'd try it. People keep suggesting it. Uh, I'm not used to talking. I normally like to ask questions or have someone to riff off of, which is a lot of fun. But if you like this, I'm willing to work on it and get better. But if nobody cares about this, then I won't do this again. Because <laughs> I already know this stuff. Um, and I have people that I talk with about improving myself and in different regards. But so let me know what you think. Have a great day. And I hope everyone uh, enjoys this episode and enjoys the books. And if there are better books, let me know. You send me books as well. I love reading. And maybe I'll do like a master type up of these things. 